Hi, and welcome to episode 37 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. I am your host, your co-host, Matt Larson, and with me, as always, is your other co-host... Cricket Lou. Good to be back. Yes, but let's have that be all we say about that, and I think we should just go straight into the questions that we have. Okay, I agree. Happily, people have continued to send us questions. I don't know why they would do that, but... <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not expecting an immediate answer. No. <laughs> or, or even an answer at all, probably. <laughs> all right, so this first question is from... Uh, let's see, we've got it just, just recently, actually. It's from Evangelos Balaskas. Uh, and judging from the .grtld, he is in Greece. Excellent. Right. And so he is asking, um, I might paraphrase a little bit, but he's saying he's noticed that there's a restriction mm-hmm. on the CNAME record. He says you cannot create a CNAME entry if the hostname already exists with a different record. Mm-hmm. And he gives the example of trying to put an A record and a C name both at the uh, www name in a zone. That's right. And, he's, and he says, you know, I've noticed the same thing with a txt record, but he's noticed that I can put in, um, if I have an A record, I can put in a txt record. So, you know, I think this is something that probably a lot of our listeners know the answer to, and they may even be screaming at their uh, MP3 player already. But um, <laughs> do you think anybody has an MP3 player? <laughs> You know, I should I should just say iPod, right? Because that's how everybody's probably listening to this. Well, I I would imagine at this point they've got you know either computers or smartphones or something like that. I did see a guy on a a recent flight who had an iPod, you know, like a classic iPod. I don't think right. it actually had that you know the wheel that physically spins, but it was oh, geez. it was Those old. Have got to be long broken, I would think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So C name and other data. It's a classic, right? Yes. Um, yeah, so the basic rule is that if a domain name owns a CNAME record, it may not own any other types of records. Um, with a little footnote that in the case of DNSSEC, we actually, uh, we actually relax that just a little bit. Um, but if I remember correctly, the reason that stricture exists is because of the way that CNAME records are processed by recursive name servers, um, in particular that they cause something called a query restart. Um, if if a, a recursive name server is you know looking up an A record for www.infoblocks.com, let's say, and is returned a CNAME record uh, that says www.infoblocks.com is an alias for infoblocks.com, then it performs this query restart and then starts looking up an A record for infoblocks.com. And then, of course, it probably also caches uh, the CNAME record. Uh, From then on, if it, uh, you know, receives a query for, for example, an MX record for www.infoblocks.com or, in fact, any other type of record that might be attached to www.infoblocks.com, it just looks at the CNAME record and it says, oh, I see that that's an alias for infoblocks.com. I should really be looking for that record type attached to infoblocks.com. Right. And the the other uh, footnote I'll add in addition to your footnote is that you can... uh Oh no! Wait. Well, okay. It's a. I guess it's not a footnote. It's just ex- expanding a little bit, which is that you can have chains of C names. So yes, know, A can be yeah. a C name to B, B a C name to uh, C, and and so on. And it and it's whatever is at the end of the chain. This query restart happens each time. 
Right, right. The, the way that an authoritative name server processes a query for um, a domain name is also sort of instructive. Um, you know, if you're the authoritative name server for the infoblocks.com zone, and you receive an A query for www.infoblocks.com, even though you don't have an A record for www.infoblocks.com, you realize that you have a C name record for www.infoblocks.com, and you return that because you figure, hey, that's that's relevant, right? He's looking up uh, an A record for that domain name, but that domain name actually happens to be an alias for something else, and he should know that. Um, so I guess the the reason that you can't have the CNAME record and other record types is that, that it becomes very difficult to understand how that whole system would work if you allowed, for example, um, both a CNAME record and an A record to be attached to www.infoblocks.com. Then if somebody looked up uh, the address for www.infoblocks.com, would you, would you send them the, the uh, A record or would you send them the CNAME record? Um, also, if, if somebody looked up something else, you know, like, say, the MX record for www.infoblocks.com, and then you handed back the CNAME record, and the recursive name server cached that CNAME record, um, if it subsequently looked up, say, the A record for www.infoblocks.com, it would see, oh, that's an alias, right? And it would probably try to look up the A record for infoblocks.com. And that, you know, that, that way lies madness, basically. Uh, right. you, would, you would no longer be able to, to use that cached CNAME record, or you'd get really unpredictable behavior. Yeah, well, you know, so I've, I've taught many a uh, intro to DNS class. And the analogy that I used is, uh, you know, for why it doesn't make sense to have uh, a record and a CNAME at, uh, at, at the same name is, you know, imagine you. Uh, you go to a store and you get there and there's a sign on it that says we have moved our new addresses you know whatever 101 Main Street but you look inside and the lights are on <laughs> right. and, and people are there shopping so you know your natural response is to be confused and to wonder well which which is it have they moved or, or are they open and that's, right right and, and you know I remember one time using that analogy and you must have been at the class or I just remember you didn't like it and and I've always remembered that because I've always thought it was a nice analogy. And no, I think that's a good analogy. I don't know what oh. what problem I had with it at the time. I mean, I guess to expand on the analogy, you'd have to say, you know, th that uh, you know, in the event that you allow CNAME and other data, it's like having a store where you have the sign on there that it's moved. But if you want to shop for you know bread, it's open. <laughs> oh, I like that. Right, and then yes. and then the caching side of it is that. You know, you remember, you remember. Oh yeah, the 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 store has moved. You know, to this other address, but you don't really have any way of remembering the store has moved except for the bread. <laughs> right. Oh, I like that a lot. Okay, so you're you're certainly uh, you certainly have my permission to to use that if you like. Oh, I was going to use it one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think that so, that kind of explains it, right? I think it does. All right. Um, what is next? The next thing that we have to address, the next question in our mailbag, comes from Miko Leto. Uh, and Miko, uh, who uh, by the looks of his domain name is a Finnish friend of ours, says, thanks for the show. He's been a longtime listener, first time to actually send something. A few earlier postponed drafts have miraculously answered themselves. That's amazing. I would love that to have the ability to actually, you know, compose a question in a draft and have a, a, an answer miraculously appear. That's that's pretty interesting. Um, but he's asking about the what he calls the latest land grabbing trends in the world of internet domain names. Um, in fact, he's interested in the whole history 
uh, of, of internet uh, land grabbing. And he says, um, the reason he's asking is that he's been following the slow, what he calls uh, devolution of one .NET domain that he was involved in. Uh, he says the, the names don't just vanish very easily. Uh, he says, uh, first, when the initial uh, expiration date went by, the registrar kept sending him reminders and emails uh, just at, before and after expiration. Uh, but DNS lookups kept working, and after some time, uh, the registrar just gave him another later expiration date, I guess rather than the expiration just ha happening. And then after some head scratching, uh, he forgot the whole thing. And now when he looks at who is information for that, uh, that domain name, the domain is actually handled by a totally different registrar, but there are no SOA or NS records for the zone, just some registrant information uh, that's available, but they don't really reveal anything about actual use of that domain name. So his questions are, do the players of the registrar game uh, keep an eye on expiring domain names and grab them in bulk, uh, or what in fact is happening when expiring domain names uh, change owners so quickly? Well, the, the answer is an emphatic yes. Mm -hmm. There's um, there's a very active secondary market and has been for years uh, in the domain name industry. And, and I saw this up close at, at VeriSign for .com and .net. And part of what, um, what he saw go on as the name was expiring is at, at least for uh, ICANN accredited registries. So, you know, these would be any of the uh, generic tlds.com and .net being the the oldest, but of course now we have a whole slew of new ones. Yep. And and there there are a lot of protections in there to ensure that registrants don't lose their domain names. And it actually makes it very complicated to be a registry because a domain name goes through all these states, both when it's created. Um, there's a grace period where the registrar can say, "Oh wait, I didn't mean to buy that," and they can get their their money back. Right. And then. It, it doesn't just delete and vanish. There are some uh, states at the end where it, it sort of goes in limbo where it can be pulled back by the by the registrar. A kind of a finite state machine. Yes, yes, it's it's just very complicated. We used to give briefings and and, and put up the uh, you know this very complicated state machine chart, basically just showing the life cycle of the domain name to go. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, this isn't just a this isn't just a database where you know there's a lot there's a lot going on here. I knew that I, computer science class I took that covered finite state machines was going to be useful someday. There you go, uh, and and so it turns out there there are many different kinds of registrars. This is sort of a general comment uh, about the domain name industry. You know there are some uh, registrars that their their main purpose is they sell domain names, but there aren't many of those because it's hard to make a business out of selling just domain names. So then yeah. you add on other things like web hosting and email forwarding or email hosting or you know, uh, selling X509 certificates, all sorts of things like that. And so most registrars tend to do that. That is, you know, those that uh, sell to consumers. And the, the, the biggest one of all is, is GoDaddy, of course. They have millions, tens of millions of, of domains, but they would love to upsell you on, on other things and, and almost use domain names as a loss leader. So right. that's right. that's the kind of registrar that I think most people are familiar with. But it turns out there there are other kinds of registrars. People get uh, regist registrar accreditation so that they can you know contact the registry and, and buy domain names. They, they get them for other purposes. And, and there are other registrars who deal just entirely in the secondary market. And so what they do is they wait for domain names to expire, and then they grab them mm -hmm. and try to sell them at more than just the, you know, what they paid 
from the registry. Right. And and so what was interesting uh, up close and personal at, at Verisign, and I feel it's okay to tell the story because we would talk about it when we when we would give tours and we would show people in the uh, the network operations center, is that uh, what, what Verisign found in in the early days after uh, you know the registry and registrar, the network solutions registry and registrar were split, and we sort of got the concept of uh, registrars and, and registries. Uh, it didn't take long for the secondary market to evolve and for registrars to realize, hey, these domain names are valuable, I should try to get them. Mm-hmm. And the way to get them is the instant that it's removed from the database, when it you know finally is absolutely done, is, is available for purchase again, goes back into the free pool, well, you've got to be the first one to try to buy it. Right, right. And so what, what would happen is, you know, we were under a 24-hour, I should say Verisign, Verisign was under uh, a 24-hour self-inflicted uh, DDoS attack because the registrars would just would just pound the registry servers trying to get the domain names. Right. And, and in fact, you know, they, di- they didn't even bother to do the check command. There's a, there's a uh, uh, well, it was then, it was, um, uh, oh, the mind... Uh, my mind is going. What was the name of the uh, before EPP? Oh, uh, oh gosh! I can't believe it. N- now people really will be colleagues. Will be, <laughs> All your will former Verisign colleagues. <laughs> oh, how embarrassing! Up and down. Um, well, anyway, whatever, whatever, whatever. It was. Jeez, that's really embarrassing. Anyway, the point is, in 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 the original protocol in EPP that replaced it, there's there's a a verb where you can say, I want to check if that name's available, and then there's also a a, a command to just buy it. Well, you know, they don't even bother with the, mm-hmm. the check. You just try to you just try to add it over and over and over again, and it and it fails, and then hopefully succeeds. So what what finally happened is, um, you know, to cut out a lot of history. Uh, Verisign decided, look, we, we can't have this. We're going to tell everyone uh, when we're going to delete the names. And so, in fact, uh, if the procedure is still the same every day at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, um, all the domain names for that day are deleted. In fact, Verisign even publishes a list showing what order they're going to be deleted in. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. And so they're... they're and it's very interesting if you're lucky enough to get a tour, you know, around 2 p.m. or shortly thereafter, you can see on the monitors that show, you know, sort of generic uh, activity in, in the registry, you, you can see a massive and obvious spike uh, showing when everybody kicks in and, and, and starts trying to get those domain names. Yeah. It's funny, too. That's a, that's a funny choice of time. 2 p.m. Eastern seems like a quite busy time for just regular, uh, you know, DNS workload. You know, I don't know. I don't know the reason for that. Yeah. I, I would have thought that you might try to shift it so that it was a time of day when, you know, the normal query load that you're handling is relatively low. But I, I, obviously, I don't know all of the considerations involved. Yeah, so that's that's the secondary market. There's there, there's a lot lot going on behind the scenes, and a lot of people have made a lot of money selling domain names, and they would uh, a lot of people would be happy to sell you domain names from the secondary market because it's it's quite lucrative. Yeah, and I would imagine the you know a lot of the folks who are willing to pay the most for those domain names are sort of the regret market, right? The the oops market. I didn't mean to let that expire. Um, and now I really need it back, and I, I'll, I'm willing to pay whatever is necessary. I, I would think, yeah. yeah. And, and and there's also, um, you know, people would have no reason to necessarily be involved in a transaction like this. But if if you happen to be sitting on a domain name that somebody else wants, you know, mm-hmm. you will be approached, 
by by brokers who who, who do just this who, who again deal on the secondary market yeah you know a buddy of mine uh registered a domain name it was kind of a made up made up high techy sounding word uh i just i don't even remember why it just saw he thought it was a cool name and he was you know, he he was approached, and somebody said, "You know, you want to sell that," and he ended up getting five grand for it. <laughs> That's not bad. That's <laughs> yeah, not. And of course, I don't I don't follow the market anymore well enough to know. I don't know what the what the record is. It might it's probably not even disclosed the highest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we don't know these are private transactions, of course, so you don't know. But I mean, obviously, domain names have sold for tens of millions of dollars. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Hmm. Oh, and to, and to think we were both there <laughs> at the very beginning. Think of all the domain names we could have registered. Hmm. I don't know if. Well, that's, let's move on. It's too depressing. Yeah, I don't know if that's the um, way I would have wanted to make make my way in the world anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. Well, all right, let's move on. <laughs> so the uh, our last question uh, of the show uh, is from a guy named Grant Taylor. And uh, Grant says that he recently ran across a tweet that said you could do a particular dig command. So uh, this command is you're, you're asking for a records of myip.opendns.com mm, okay. at the server name called named resolver1.opendns.com. And he says that lets you find out what your resolver's IP address is. So in other words, it's, it's, it's answering it's it's creating the response on the on the fly based on the query. Right. Right. And so he was he says I'm wondering if Bind has any simple options to create dynamic zone content like that. And he you know he talks about how originally he thought views might might work that way. Ooh. <laughs> Don't think so. Yeah. No. Uh, and and then he then he writes uh, upon finding and skimming uh, Jan Pete Men's UIT Alternative DNS Servers book online, a book which I am not familiar with. Are you? No, I, I, I have heard of Jan Piet, though. Right, yeah, as, as have I. I don't think I've met him. Um, but, of course, a moment ago I couldn't remember something <laughs> else. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so he says, I wondered if the TCLSB, excuse me, TCLSDB driver could be utilized for this. So, he says, I'll ask you, is there a simple option to create dynamic zone content at query time like myip.opendns.com does? Yeah. That's a that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know of any way to do that in Bind, although using the SDB interface does sound like kind of a, a likely approach. Um, SDB is the simple database interface, and it allows you to kind of run Bind directly over uh, uh, a standard, I think, SQL um, database. Uh, and you can sort of choose the the SQL database you want. I'm not sure exactly how you marry bind to the database, whether you have to have a certain database schema set up um, or whether you have some way of telling bind, you know, use the following query to look up A records and the following type of query to look up MX records or or what. But if there's there's a TCL uh, SDB extension, that seems like a a likely uh, candidate um, beyond that, uh, before beginning the recording, I, I think we uh, we mentioned the old LB NameD, which is a uh, name server that was written in Perl um, that might also be a, a candidate for trying to do an extension like that. And of course, if you're handy with you know C or C++, uh, any of the languages that most uh, name servers are developed in, you could just do it yourself, I suppose. But uh, that's probably not the answer uh, that uh, Grant is looking for. Yeah, I I I, th- I think I, I agree. You're you're going to be writing code of some kind or another if if you want to do this. Um, 
you know, we had talked. So I, I, I looked, I just quickly looked up LB named it. Dates back, back to 1994. <laughs> you can imagine that. Um, so I don't know. Is, is that before the NetDNS Perl? Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know I it think has it, to be because there, there were no modules. Oh, you're right. When did Perl get OO? I mean, so I, I, I don't know when you learned Perl, probably around the same time I did. I, I very specifically remember it was 1994. I picked up the original Camel book back when it was pink. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have, have a pink of copy of it. Yep, I sure do. I think I might I, I might even have two. <laughs> yeah, so for me, Perl, my, my, I, I actually once had someone look at some Perl I'd written, and, and the comment was so interesting, very Perl 4-ish. <laughs> so so I, I know how to use the Perl OO stuff. You know, I can use a module, certainly, but it it's sort of, I, I, I come from an earlier time with Perl, so it's not really the first thing that I think of. Yeah, yeah. But I, I guess the point here is that, uh, you know, something like that, or now with NetDNS, uh, you could write something and throw something together in Perl. There's the DNS Python. You know, all the cool people use Python now, I understand. Yes, so, uh, yes, yes. I've been left behind. As, as have I. Yeah, there's also, isn't there DNS Java? Is that, was that Brian Wellington? There sure or? is. It was, it was Brian Wellington. I don't know who maintains it mm -hmm. uh, anymore. Maybe, maybe he still does. He, so, he may, yeah. So the, uh, that, that's, you can do, you know, real stuff with that too. In fact, the, um, the prototype of the unbound recursive server was written by Dave Blacka, uh, still at VeriSign, uh, in in Java using DNS Java. Yeah, and probably one of the guys who was jumping up and down yelling the answer when you couldn't remember the the API call. <laughs> yes, probably. So, yeah. So I think the ans the answer is you you're going to have to be writing some code to do this. But given uh, the various libraries available and you know, you choose your favorite language. It's it's probably not that hard. Yeah, yeah. I I've heard. I don't know that uh, this is the case. I think I heard this from Paul Vixie that that OpenDNS has actually descended from DJB DNS, the uh, recursive component of that, which was it's like Cache DNS or DNS Cache or something like that. Was that Tiny DNS? Tiny DNS was the authoritative name server. That was the little authoritative name server. Cache DNS or DNS Cache, I can never remember the order, was the little recursive name server because it separated the two. Right. Okay. I mean I have I've compiled it once or twice, <laughs> but I've never I've never, you know, used it for any length of time. Yeah, nor have I. All right. Is that it? That's it. Fantastic. So I, I have recorded this entire episode standing up. Oh, you have? Well, good for you. I am I am at my standing desk. I, I just today brought it. I, well, I, I had one, and I uh, I used it for a while at, at VeriSign before I left, and, and you know I had bought it, so I, I took it home, and it's just been gathering dust. And I, I finally brought it in. I, I heard, uh, do you know the podcast 99% Invisible? Yeah, I do know that. I think I've listened to one or two episodes of that. Yeah, it's it's from out. Uh, they they produce it out in Oakland. It's 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 about um, it's about design, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and so a lot of talk about architecture, but not certainly not exclusively architecture. And so there was, the, you know, the most recent episode is about chairs and sitting, and and basically how bad it is for you to sit. And and there was a line in there that sitting is the new smoking. Oh, all right. Well, maybe I better reconsider then. Yes, so I can smugly announce that I, I am standing up here. Excellent. I, I imagine there might even be somebody, one of our listeners, who says, I could tell, I could tell by the, the, the different tone and timbre of your voice. Well. I, I don't know. Hmm. 
No? I don't know. <laughs> I think people yes, do, do uh, actually sound a little bit different if they're speaking when they're standing up versus speaking when they're they're sitting down, which kind of makes sense because your diaphragm's a little bit compressed when you're uh, when you're sitting down, right? Oh yeah. Well, any any serious singing, you've got to be standing up. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, we we make the choir stand up when uh, when it's time to sort of do the. You know, it's one thing to power through notes and, and learn notes sitting down, but when you're going to do something kind of for real, you know, mm-hmm. then it's like, all right, stand up, folks. And yeah. I do all my stu- of- I do all my serious singing while standing <laughs> up, of course. <laughs> I try not to I try not to sing. I can. I, I can conduct. I'm not a subtle conductor, but I can, I can conduct. But I, I get into trouble if I try to sing. I'm just a, I'm a, a mediocre singer at best. By by not subtle, do you mean you you glare at people who are doing things that they should not be doing and and point your baton and <laughs> that sort uh, of thing? No, I mean like I, you know, really good conductors. I, so I, I have sung in in, uh, in, <laughs> in 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 choirs where there's an entire section of basses, and I, the, the damage I can do is limited. Um, <laughs> but you know, really good conductor can get um, a lot of response with not a lot of of movement. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I and that's what I mean by not subtle, which is like I, you know, if 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 I want loud, man, it's going to be clear because I'm flapping all over the place and. Uh, so I'm kind of, uh, you know, people who know me might be surprised to hear that. But uh, it, it it also when you're when you're conducting amateurs, mm-hmm. it um, you know you kind of need to hit people over the over the head with it. Oh yeah, sure. They wouldn't be nearly as sensitive to the kinds of cues that a conductor would uh, would normally give, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, once again, we've we've gone far afield and I, I would think kind of an interesting way in the Ask Mr. <laughs> DNS podcast. Yeah, hopefully uh, illuminating and edifying for our, our dozen listeners <laughs> who, who remain. All right. Well, as always, thank you very, very much for tuning in. Uh, and we hope that you'll tune in again. We'd love to receive your questions if you have any. Please send them to MrDNS at AskMrDNS.com. That's M-R-D-N-S at Ask-M-R-D-N-S.com. And until next time, goodbye. Bye-bye.